Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel, and today we have an amazing guest and one of my idols in the space, Mr. Jefferson Lilly. Jefferson is a mobile home park investment expert and educator. He is responsible for Park Avenue Partners, strategic direction, acquisitions, and property operations. Prior to founding Park Avenue Partners, he co-founded Park Street Partners, a similar partnership also focused on acquiring mobile home parks nationwide. Both personally and through his partnerships, Jefferson has acquired 25 mobile home parks. This was as of your, when I read it off of your website, which may have, may have increased since then, uh, in yeah. 13 states since 2007, totaling over $56 million in value. He started the industry's very first podcast and the largest group on LinkedIn dedicated to investing in mobile home parks, which I will make sure to get you the link in the show notes to that. He holds a BA from the University of Pennsylvania and an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. Jefferson, welcome to the show. Andrew, whatever I'm paying you, I'm doubling it. That was an astounding <laughs> introduction. And actually about a third of it was actually accurate. So oh my goodness. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so happy to have you, man. I, uh, your podcast was 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 very important, you know, in my education in the space. So uh, really excited to dive in today and, uh, you know, probably learn a couple of things I don't know about you. Fire away. Glad to be here. Awesome. Can you please tell us about your story and how you got into manufactured housing? Yeah. So uh, when I woke up from the concussion, it just seemed like a good idea to buy a mobile <laughs> home park. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, uh, so I got into the business, I got turned on to the space. It's now been about uh, 15 years ago, 2005. I was wow. uh, working in iTech. I had been through the dot-com boom and bust uh, and semi-resurgence. I was looking for some passive income to sort of even out you know, stock option income and what the stock market was doing. And I thought, well, I've always lived in a house or an apartment. Why don't I buy an apartment? I don't mind going to work. Maybe I'll fix it up. New roof on the building, new kitchens, make it better for the tenants, bump rents, make it better for me. Uh, and then just in being on websites um, like LoopNet, uh, I would filter for multifamily properties. Uh, I live out here in San Francisco. I, was, I knew I was not going to find anything that cash flowed even then in San Francisco. So I was already looking, you know, out in Lubbock, Texas and Peoria, Illinois and on and on. Uh, and I would see in these multifamily listings, 99 apartment buildings, again, this is 2005 pricing, uh, 99 apartment buildings at like an eight cap and then one trailer park at like a 10 or 12 cap. Probably that included some of the house income and we can talk about that. I didn't know that at the time, but anyway, so I saw these asset classes, one in a hundred that were, you know, yielding 200, 300 basis points more. And of course I thought, 
that's absurd. I'm not buying a friggin' trailer park. <laughs> I deleted the search result and, you know, looked in, in <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska and Madison, Wisconsin. And I kept getting hit over the head. I'd be embarrassed. It probably took five or 10 of these little search results before I finally thought, you know, I guess mobile home parks are multifamily and why don't I look into it? Why these things seem to pay so much more money? Is it just that they're a huge asshole? You know, what, what is it? Um, so, so then I started looking around and uh, found uh, the Mobile Home University uh, website uh, back when its original founders, uh, Corey Donaldson and Steve Case, uh, were running MHU um, and went to one of those and started buying pretty much every book and listening to tapes that I could find. Um, and I, I built up an unofficial advisory board of about 10 guys that all owned mobile home parks. So I then spent, it took roughly another year and a half. I wasn't really looking full-time. I was still working my day job in tech, uh, but uh, I would run deals by these guys and they would say thumbs up or thumbs down. Here's why, or maybe, you know, don't know about this deal, Jefferson, dig in on issue X. And when you figure that out, then you'll know, you know, if it's a park you should buy. Uh, anyway, so it took, uh, I guess, about 17 months from the time I really kind of got turned on to the space and figured out, you know, why it's a great little niche. In late 05, it took me until about March of 07 to close on my first park, about 17 months. Um, put in some other offers, got outbid along the way. I didn't chase up price on deals. Uh, but again, fi finally closed on my first deal in early 07. And again, it's kind of taken on a, a life of its own from then doing some consulting to buying another park to then raising funds. Uh, to now buying, I think I'm up to about 33 uh, mobile home parks and hopefully closing on three more this Friday. We'll wow. see. Three in a day. Is it a portfolio? It's, yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic, yeah. man. So we'll see. Yeah, I closed on two in a portfolio a week before last, and we've got three more. And we'll see if we can get it all done here by, by the end of the year. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed, man. Well, congratulations, dude. That's a, that's a fantastic story. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about that park in 2007 and, you know, how it fared during 2008, 2009? I think a lot of investors have heard of the recession-resistant characteristics yeah. the asset class has. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not too often you get to speak to somebody that was an actual operator during that time. So if you wouldn't mind sharing yeah. some expertise, that'd be great. Yeah, so th this is my perfect business timing now, cl closing on my first investment with a very large chunk of my then net worth <laughs> in March of 07. And then uh, I think towards the end of that year and certainly into 08, uh, the wheels came off the housing market as it were. Uh, as it, as it were. So yeah, I kept, you know, I, I enforced no pay, no stay. I kept expecting my manager one month to call and sort of say like, hey, you know, a third of the people haven't paid. Do you really want me to empty out your park by a third? <laughs> Fortunately, that call never came. Uh, I got some other amusing calls, but uh, that one never came. Uh, folks continued uh, generally to pay rent. You know, th there's always some fraction, single digit fraction of the folks that just can't bring themselves to pay rent. But um, that didn't increase that much. We might have had slightly more turnover. We continued to market uh, the, the property. We uh, pretty much always since day one have had a website for that property. Uh, and we were advertising on Craigslist. Facebook wasn't real big back then. Um, 
But anyway, long story short, we stayed 95 to 100% full right through the Great Recession. Wow. Uh, we actually raised rents about 50%. Uh, I know that sounds extraordinary. <clears throat> this first park I bought had uh, going in rents of $110 a month. Wow. <laughs> Very modest. And uh, that was 2007. By 2010, I believe we were at 155 dollars a month. So wow. still quite affordable, but yeah. percentage wise, that was a 50% increase. And again, we remain 95 to 100% full right through it. So, um, and that, that was in Oklahoma. Uh, and indeed, Oklahoma was not ground zero for the housing crisis. That was places more like Miami and Vegas and the Eastern, I guess, sort of inland part of LA. Um, what I hear, uh, I know one other park owner who was active in Florida during that time, he had much higher turnover mm-hmm. and uh, therefore, you know, had had higher expenses uh, renovating some of his homes. And I think he was more in the rental business, but he was closer to ground zero. He also remained over 90 percent occupied wow. right through the housing recession. He worked it. He, he like lived near his park. He was renovating houses. And again, there was higher turnover and some higher expenses, but still even he close to ground zero for the housing debacle didn't get wiped out. He worked a bit harder and he he still got through it. I think cash flowing all the way. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. A lot of our listeners are passive investors. You know, they've invested in other asset classes and, and they're not really aware of all of the risks involved in the mobile home park asset class. Yeah. So what are the most important things that passive investors or, you know, LPs, if you want to call them, uh, need to look out for, you know, prior to investing uh, either in an, into a mobile home park syndication or a fund? You know, what yeah. are the what are the the short list top items that that you would like to share with those those listeners? Yeah. So honestly, I, I'd say the most important thing is doing diligence on your deal sponsor on the GP, making sure that person is ethical Uh, and a good operator. Uh, I've long felt that, frankly, it's almost impossible to destroy the mobile home park business model. We've seen government come close, (laughs) and we'll see how we get through this eviction moratorium. But the the dynamics around the actual asset class are so strong. Really, there's greater risk in your GP, in the partnership, So I guess my advice to LPs would be get to know your GP, understand their ethics, understand how they operate, both how they source deals um, and how they operate them. Those are really the only two things, and you need to do both well, but, but finding good deals and operating them well are really the only two things you need to do to, to make money in this space. I would argue if you only do one of those well, you're not even, you're not going to do that well on the whole. Um, So some key questions to ask your your GP would be, you know, how are you sourcing deals? Are you getting deals off market? uh, Or are you just buying the widely shopped deals from brokers? Um, I bought from brokers uh, with my current fund, given pricing, I've actually so far shifted uh, to being able to find deals 100% off market. Wow. We'll see what the future holds. Uh, it's not that brokers have no good deals, but but I'd be a little reticent to invest with somebody that exclusively just buys broker deals and makes no 
effort to invest in the people and the systems to be cold calling and again, sourcing deals on your own. So that's the first thing. And the second thing then is how do you actually operate? Um, there are some other operators. Uh, I don't th- not, don't think it's you and it's not me, but there's some operators out there that just outsource their, their properties entirely to property management companies. I, I've done, I've never done that with a whole portfolio. I've, I've done it with a couple of properties and I bought one property that came with uh, an outside management company and we are in the process of replacing them. So I would say uh, that it's really not a good long-term strategy to just outsource your management. Frankly, this business just isn't that easy. Outside management companies can maintain a property, uh, but in today's market with today's pricing, you're probably paying still a pretty decent price. You've really got to take the property to the next level. Uh, You cannot any longer in general, just sit back in cash flow and do nothing but raise rents, right? You've got to actually be fixing houses. You've got to be buying new and getting those transported in. You got to get the website set up. You got to advertise on Craigslist and Facebook and so on. So uh, I would say, uh, obviously I'm biased, but I, I would say that LPs should really be investing with partnerships that find almost entirely off-market deals. Those are likely to be priced better. Um, and you can actually close those deals, usually close those quicker. Uh, and then again, uh, invest in partnerships that actually keep the management in-house. That's Those are two extremely good pieces of advice. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, I agree with you on both of them. You know, I think I read something where more mobile home parks trade off market than on market, uh, which is quite interesting. But uh, yeah, the third party management, you know, we, we had one community that was third party managed when we acquired it. And it's just, it's just a very tough cookie. It's not your typical residential, you know, single family house portfolio. There's a lot more uh, moving pieces. More moving make. parts. Yes. <laughs> Some of those parts actually have wheels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Management companies don't, don't do well with, with wheel estate. They tend yeah. to do okay with real estate, but the wheel estate part of our business, I, I, I have found, has confounded most outside management companies. Totally. So Jefferson, what has been the toughest hurdle in, in your business uh, you know, for you guys? I think it's all really, for me, revolves around people and hiring people and motivating them and building a culture. This business is relatively easy to get into if you're a sole practitioner and you want to buy a park of 50 pads or 100 pads. That's how I got started. And it's it's easy to sort of do everything, right? You're answering the phone or you're calling the plumber, or you're posting the ads on Craigslist. And, uh, but where you get certainly over a couple hundred pads, and I would say generally, at least my experience, when you get to about 500 pads, you can no longer, you know, be Superman. I probably have a really bad Superman complex. I think I can do it all. And in fact, given an infinite amount of time, sure, I could do it all. I could do all the accounting. I could answer all the phone calls. I could do all the marketing. But there just aren't enough hours in the day. And so it's, it's I call it Mobile Home Park 2.0, and I've done a, a podcast on it. But, um, you know, all, all the, the, the Mobile Home University and all the books and everything out there help you get to Mobile Home Park 1.0. Why is this a great business? You know, where do you advertise a home for sale? That kind of stuff. 
nobody's really teaching mobile home park 2.0. How do you now build an organization so that you as the founder really step, almost step out of the mobile home park business and you get into more of being a headhunter, <laughs> a recruiter yeah. and a manager of people that in turn do all the accounting, marketing, rehab and whatnot. That's quite a stretch. Uh, I haven't found it easy to do. I think I'm getting better at it, uh, but I've still got a long way to go. But just getting to mobile home park 2.0, getting beyond the four or 500 pad mark and really having to hire and motivate the right people uh, is, I think, always a challenge. Totally. Totally agree with you on that. That's yep. been you know, one of the tougher things for us as well. I, in another life, I worked a lot with Keller Williams real estate agents. And Gary mm -hmm. Keller, you know, wrote a book on how to grow your team. You know, this is your first hire. This is your next hire, right? There's nothing like that in the, the mobile home park business, you know, like you're yeah. saying. So yeah. I did enjoy your podcast, Mobile Home Park 2.0. And I think you gave a presentation at Seco uh, either yeah. this year or That's last year on that as well. So yeah. uh, if I'll put a, a link into the show notes of that so they can get yeah. over and check that out if they're interested. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Well, what can you tell us about the current state of the mobile home park industry and manufactured housing in general? And where do you see it going into the foreseeable future? So uh, the business generally is, is consolidating. Uh, it's uh, still, you know, a fair number of mom and pop operators, but, uh, but, but I certainly see a, a much greater, a much greater competition for deals than I did say, you know, 12, 13 years ago when I got into the business. Um, and again, as I alluded earlier, it's becoming increasingly important to uh, execute um, you know, we're nowhere near doing deals as big as, you know, stuff that was done back in the eighties, but, you know, with, with all the RJR takeover and KKR and all these guys, you saw an evolution from it being initially in, in most of the eighties, uh, big buyouts, just about financial engineering and all these people that, you know, had, were investment bankers and could raise money, slap debt on a company, take it private tinker with the finances a bit and sell it at a profit, but they weren't really operating the business. Um, and then you had firms more like Bain Capital come along that actually paid up a pretty penny, a big price for deals, and then actually went in and operated those businesses. So we're not doing deals, you know, anywhere near into the billions. Uh, most of my deals at least are, you know, single digit millions. Uh, but again, it, it's, it's, this business has evolved from just saying, hey, I, I just want to buy a park and then do nothing as if it's a passive investment. If you were buying at the prices, you know, circa 2010, probably you could just buy, be passive and do nothing. But again, today you're, you're probably not getting great deals price-wise. Better still if you're buying off market, but you're rarely stealing a deal. Um, and again, you need to really operate it, get a good manager in there, get a good compensation plan for them get them motivated to, to be bringing in and renovating houses and all, all these operational issues. Um, so you've got to be a, a much better operator today than you did, say, 10 and certainly even, even five years ago. And then I think what we're seeing uh, also then as the business consolidates is it makes those some of the exits perhaps a little more interesting. Um, all of our numbers 
with our LPs are predicated on selling deals one at a time, say at the end of our 10-year fund, selling deals one at a time at basically the same cap rate that we bought them at. Now, presumably we're making more money, we're gonna get some operating leverage. Anyway, it's not baked into any of our numbers, but I suspect what we'll see increasingly and certainly five and 10 years down the road when we might be exiting some of our funds uh, is that you'll see some of these larger operators, even larger than we are paying lower cap rates to buy a portfolio of properties. Um, and so I think, I think I've seen more of that happening than again, say five or 10 years ago. So we, uh, we think we don't, plan on it, but we think we'll not only have the operating leverage of, of improving the property properties, but we think we'll actually be able to sell them uh, probably at a lower cap rate and, and get some financial leverage. Um, so that's been, been a change that there are portfolio buyers um, and that portfolios generally trade at a higher price, lower cap rate than the, uh, the individual properties. Um, so again, there, there's value to, to building uh, just a larger portfolio in general, um, and for instance, we've been able to concentrate some, uh, for instance, with, with our current uh, Park Avenue fund, uh, we've now acquired uh, five properties in Sioux City, Iowa. Wow. So for a future operator, you know, that, that's great to have. Now we're a little over 400 pads between those five properties, and they're all within about a four mile radius of one another. Um, and we're looking at some other acquisitions in, in metros that, that we're already in. Um, so it's not a must, but I think there's some unique uh, benefit uh, today and again at exit in the future as it continues to consolidate uh, to, to having a really a portfolio of, of properties that you can sell off uh, in a bundle. Totally. No, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, would you mind touching on the value add that you guys implement in your new acquisitions you know, some of our other guests on the podcast have have mentioned how, you know, infill is is one of the tougher value add components. You know, would you mind sharing a little bit about, you know, what you guys implore in your properties? Yeah. So the, the big three uh, for all of us are basically bumping rents. That's the easiest. Obviously, doesn't take hardly any effort to just send out a letter and say, hey, you know, fair market is now 20 bucks higher. Your, your rent's gone up. Um, so rent increases, that's the easiest. Even someone not strong at operations can, can raise rents. <laughs> uh, secondly, then uh, kind of going down the list of, of low-hanging fruit, what, what's uh, uh, slightly less uh, low-hanging uh, is to actually install water meters. Uh, we've found with our portfolio so far, it's approximately half uh, uh, that, that has upside from installing water meters. Uh, the other half, either the meters are already there, or of course, the beautiful thing is that the local utility is billing tenants directly for their utilities, and then you've got a pure parking lot. Uh, so that's a fair amount of our Sioux City portfolio, thankfully. Um, but anyway, but, but we'll actually install water, uh, water meters, uh, and those are remote read, uh, wireless, so they feed back into our system, our rent accounting system. We happen to use Rent Manager. Uh, Appfolio is also good. Yardy, you know, there, there are half a dozen of these. Um, anyway, we, we happen to use Rent Manager, but that's a big plus to just get the wireless reads and not have to, first off, of course, to bill for the water. And then again, to not have to actually bother a manager with going around and manually reading yeah. meters. We want our managers focused 
on you know selling houses and maintaining curb appeal, um, not on doing manual things like reading meters. Anyway, so water meters is is the second thing that we do, and then the third thing, as you alluded to, is infill. Uh, that is the heavy lifting in this business. Um, we've over the last couple of months, I uh, oh, actually over about the last year, we've ordered almost twenty brand new homes. And we anticipate uh, escalating that and, and buying far more over the next 12 months as, as we continue to acquire uh, properties. But uh, buying uh, new is easier, but still requires logistics around, you know, getting the home delivered and set and skirted and plumbed and electrified and on and on and marketed. Um, anyway, so what we may do, frankly, over the next maybe even six months is hire somebody uh, just to source mobile homes for us, uh, new and used, and, and coordinate, again, the moves, the set. Uh, for used homes, they would also be coordinating a rehab. Um, and, and again, just have somebody who just infills uh, our parks. Uh, that's, again, not something that an outside management company can really do a good job of. Uh, and we've had some of our managers, you know, find onesie, twosie homes to buy, which is great. But I think we're about at the scale where we can probably create a decent, you know, high five, maybe even six figure income for somebody just sourcing homes and, and getting them into our parks. Um, anyway, so that's that's the third thing. So you got rents, water meters and uh, the heavy lifting, real heavy lifting of infill. That's great. That's wonderful. Uh, Jefferson, what does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes? <laughs> you know, it, it's free. It, it's got a treasure chest of gold and diamonds buried <laughs> in it. Only I know where that is. You know? yeah. It's a 20 cap. <laughs> it's, a, yeah, it's, it's free. You know, what do you just, you just get one for free. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I think realistically, uh, we at least like to buy, let's say, roughly stabilized with upside. So something that's around 80% occupied, probably very few uh, park-owned homes, uh, you know, and, and to get it at, at a reasonable price. Uh, so, you know, we, we love things that are into the double-digit cap rates. Uh, we've been able to find a couple of those. Uh, and then again, with, with 20%, let, let's say all the infrastructure is there, so the, the extra 20% of the pads are fully constructed, all the utility headers are there, and all we have to do is source and bring in homes. Um, and of course, it'd be nice if all that those additional vacant pads are also direct billed by the utility company. Um, and then so that's the park itself. Uh, thinking outside the park, we, we would want that to be located in a decent metro uh, decent for us means uh, average house price of a hundred thousand and up. Um, average a site built house. So, and we're in some metros where it's closer to two hundred thousand. We've done one or two deals where the average house price is a quarter million. Wow. Uh, but but anything well over a hundred grand means you've got a pretty healthy economy. Um, and then we also like to be within about five miles of a super Walmart. Uh, Walmart, we think does their, their demographic and economic research quite well. And super Walmarts are put in places that are reasonably healthy economically. Um, one of our better deals was zero miles to the super Walmart. Our, our northern border of our property was the southern border of the super Walmart parking lot. Uh, and that super Walmart had been a super Walmart for 20 years, 30 years or something, and had actually been torn down and rebuilt larger wow. about six years prior to us acquiring 
the park. So again, you know, if Walmart's investing that way in the super Walmart, you probably got a, a pretty decent economy there. So that's our, our perfect deal. That's great. Uh, what is the value proposition at Park Avenue Partners and what makes your operation different? So unlike most other partnerships, uh, we take no fees. I get no salary. I get no acquisition fee. I get no back-end divestiture fee. Uh, we are, are truly aligned with our limited partners. Uh, we split the profits 50-50. Uh, that's both uh, cash flow quarterly as well as no guarantees, but presumably some much larger checks uh, at the end of our uh, at the end of the at the end of the fund at the end of ten years. Um, again, we focus on mobile home parks. We aren't also dabbling in single family or apartment or self storage. We we focus on mobile home parks. Um, and then again, we've been at least so far able to source deals exclusively off market. Uh, and we, again, operate those entirely in-house. Um, so we think that'll lead to the best uh, long-term results. Um, again, both managing in-house, but also having the discipline to not be motivated by fees, right? If I go out and do a $10 million deal, I'm not pocketing a $200,000 or greater finder's fee, so to speak, acquisition fee. Um, the deals we do have got to actually cash flow. So uh, again, we, I think we've got better alignment with our limited partners than, than most other funds because there are no fees, no salary. We're just, just, just true partners in the deal. Wonderful. Uh, Jefferson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, if any of our listeners would like to get a hold of you, uh, what is the best way for them to do so? Yeah, so our fund uh, website is simply parkavenuepartners.com. Uh, and there's actually, I think at the bottom of our homepage, there, there's an intake form. Somebody can just fill out the, their information and ping me directly through the website. Uh, there's also up at the top of the website, just a little subscribe button and folks can join our mailing list. Uh, honestly, I probably don't do as much email as I should. It'll be almost certainly less than one email a month. We don't spam, but that, that's how folks can get, uh, uh, appraised of our deals and, and upcoming fund, uh, which we hope to launch in about Q2 of 2021, about another six months. Um, so parkavenuepartners.com. And then uh, you alluded to the, the podcast and, and the LinkedIn group. Uh, and I've also got a calendar of events that people can download as well. Um, anyway, all that is at uh, mobilehomeparkinvestors.com mobilehomeparkinvestors.com. And there they can find the links to LinkedIn and our podcast and the industry calendar of events. Awesome. And please, yeah, make sure to check out Jefferson's LinkedIn group. Uh, that's titled Mobile Home Park Investors. And it has over 5,700 members to date. And there's a, a lot of valuable information in there. So uh, that does it for today's show. Jefferson, thank you again for joining us. And to all you listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks, Andrew. You're the best. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value-add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at PassiveMHPInvesting for photos and awesome videos from our recent Mobile Home Park acquisitions. Once again, that's at PassiveMHPInvesting on Instagram. See you there.